podcast. My name's Adam. You'll know that I run my business Inland Sea. We're a sustainable clothing brand. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast and following Inland Sea on Instagram and all the other social media media channels, you'll know that we are midway through or the very final stages of our Kickstarter to create a clothing range made from seaweed fibre. We're trying to create, firstly, a, a T-shirt which will use seaweed fibre, um, and we're doing this through funding it through Kickstarter, so you can pledge uh, a certain amount of money. Um, around £30 will get you a T-shirt, um, but we need to actually get to a grand total of £13,444 um, in order to achieve this and make this project happen. Um, as I speak right now, I think we're around 60 seven percent uh funded and we've got five days left to go so it's going to be really close i'm really counting on some kind of big um retail opportunities which should hopefully pull off fingers crossed this week so that's the kickstarter update um during this whole entire journey with seaweed and learning about ethical businesses um i've tried to basically just teach myself and learn as much as possible from other business owners who have basically been kind of Uh, do exactly the same as me i'm trying to create a business which effectively will solve the climate crisis i don't see why any business today cannot have an ethical or a climate change slant on the business and just to ensure uh, fully that they have uh, this in mind and can even set up the business to help uh offset your carbon footprint which is what we're trying to do in Lancy so um, the Kickstarter model and the new business model that I'm trying to do is that we invest back into seaweed farms to basically offset our carbon footprint and help to tackle all the complexities of the climate crisis um, anyway yeah as I said enough about the Kickstarter uh, you'll know a lot about that already I'm sure um, so yeah what I've done and trying to do this whole entire time is just uh, try to find if there's any issues with this idea and and trying to invest in seaweed farms because i kind of don't want to do the total opposite of what we're trying to achieve and create more problems and create um, a problem where we're ruining the ocean or ruining like seaweed or any you know bio- biodiversity within the marine life and and everything so um what i've done is got got uh, an old friend really uh well i've had i've had him on the podcast i've actually never met tony but um he's our guest today i've never met him in real life but i really hope that once covid's over we can go and meet him um but yeah tony was on our podcast last last year just talking about how uh, the weather has been affected by climate change and you can check that out and things can only get greater so i wanted to try and delve as deep as possible and use tony as a devil's advocate um because he's got a very uh big sort of science background um and knows his stuff about like the sea and the ocean although he admittedly isn't an, a marine by um a marine scientist or anything but he's definitely someone that has seen climate change uh, throughout his whole life he's a actually a big wave surfer he's an ambassador for patagonia um so he kind of yeah he really really knows his stuff and he's very very passionate about uh, solving the climate crisis so i couldn't think of anyone better to get on the podcast to discuss um, my seaweed farm idea so yeah this is just a kind of conversation between me and tony just trying to work out like put the put the world to rights and uh he's just asking me as many hard questions as possible so that i can get this project um totally right i don't want to get it wrong uh, i don't want to cause like uh, further problems by trying to push an idea such as investing in seaweed farms um i've had like the odd email and people contact me about like um basically saying that you shouldn't be removing seaweed from the sea and i think what a lot of people envisage is that we're kind of going to the sea and just pulling loads of seaweed out of the sea that's already growing there that's not what we're doing that's not what we're doing a seaweed farm is basically a farm that's put into the sea uh, so you can imagine the actual seaweed is growing off uh, loads of different ropes and lines of rope and growing and growing right to the bottom of the sea uh, and then it's harvest harvested we're never uh, suggesting that the seaweed is dredged or just taken away natural from the natural environment that's a massive no-no so um that's that's the only real big thing that seems to have come up um there was another one actually that um where people said that if you're putting seaweed into the sea the the sunlight won't get through to the the bottom the ocean and things like that and that's a big point um so that's maybe another potential problem with with seaweed farming but all i'm finding is that all the the massive benefits far far outweigh any potential 
problems. Um, so yeah, I mean, benefits. I can quickly fly off uh, on the podcast right here. Um, it can help uh, soak up plastic pollution. There's now evidence where a type of seagrass can actually soak up uh, plastic, plastic little tiny particles of plastic, which mostly come from our washing machines when we wash our clothes. Um, there's now scientific data, and um, they, I think they're called Neptune, Neptune balls. So Google that if you're interested. Um, Seaweed's also proven to soak up nitrogen and all the types of chemicals which are emitted from farming. So all the mass farming that goes on in every single country, uh, all the farmers use certain fertilizers and chemicals and everything, and then they ultimately will end up in the ocean. So seaweed has been proven to actually soak up these pollutants and also restore so-called dead zones. So like if you could imagine us putting a seaweed farm in a so-called dead zone and helping it to restore its biodiversity, even if it was just for a small amount of time, like put in a place like a... like next to a, I don't know, like outside where a river with lots of pollutants have come out and it's killed off a lot of the marine life. Um, it's just it could actually restore, uh, help restore our oceans. Um, if you feed uh, the studies now, if you feed uh, cattle with a tiny bit of a certain type of seaweed that's mostly grown in the tropical, in warm tropical waters, I think in Australia, it's been proven to uh, reduce uh, methane by up to ninety percent. Um, there's just it just goes on and on. If we can replace uh, seaweed um, by eating it, it's super high in protein. It's much higher in protein than actual beef, so we could solve our mass uh, meat consumption issue that we all know we have. Um, the big one as well with me uh, and what I'm trying to do with this whole business model is that it soaks up to 20 times more carbon than the equivalent land-based forest. So when you hear things like that and how quick um, kelp and seaweed can actually grow, it can grow up to two feet a day, which is incredibly fast. Um, so the with facts like that, the fact that it can grow so quickly, the fact that it soaks up carbon uh, so much more than trees, um, I think it can store uh, carbon in a much better way as well. Um, so there's just incredible advantages and also it's the speed that, that um, seaweed and kelp can actually do this and make this change. Um, which is the speed that we need it to happen um, if we are to believe the scientists so that we could have just seven years left uh, to avoid uh, a tipping point we totally need ideas like seaweed farms we need innovation we need people uh, pushing for ideas like this and changing their business models investing in seaweed farms uh, planting trees as well i'm not saying we shouldn't be planting trees but um yeah we and yeah, all these acts and changes that we can actually do. Um, as I worked out with Tony Button, as you'll hear in the podcast and discussion with him right now, um, what it will do is buy us time, um, which is what the main thing that we worked out. Uh, I am not saying that seaweed farms and seaweed is like the holy grail. It's not the silver bullet. It's not like the magic button that's going to get us out of this mess, but it will buy us time. So uh, let's get into the podcast anyway, enough of my uh, dribble. Uh, let's hand over to Tony Butt and myself. Uh, we recorded this about a week ago. So thanks so much, Tony, for getting uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I hope to see you very soon. Cheers, man. So the environmental work, I started, um, I suppose, well, I suppose I've always really, since I've been surfing, I suppose, and since I started studying oceanography, I always had a sort of a appreciation for nature and things that money can't buy. And, um, you know, I lived in a van for about 10 years off and on. And, you know, I was never really very materialistic or anything like that. and never worried about money, you know, was not, you know, worried about getting more and more, you know, earning more and more money, like a lot of people keeping up with the Joneses and all that bullshit. Um, so this goes back a long way. And um, I suppose my first sort of uh, environmental sort of output to the public was my articles in the Surface Path, which I started working for the Surface Path. I had a, a column in there called Land, Sea and Sky. Yeah. Uh, in about 1997, 98, I think I started. Yeah. And, um, and it finished in 2014 when they they've done a hundred issues. So I worked for them for 17 years and I had a column in there 
and um, I had a sort of a free reign. Alex, the editor, was really good. He just let me basically publish what I wanted, really. <laughs> so um, a lot of the articles I was, you know, I really, really wanted to try to push the environmental side of it. And the service path was a very environmental magazine anyway. That was their big thing in those days, which is, uh, you know, it's a bit different nowadays. Um, yeah. So that was the first sort of um, output. And then now it's, you know, now I don't really do, I, I do a few articles online, you know, and um, so I'm trying, I'm always trying to squeeze in a few um, environmental articles on magic seaweed, which I, I do a bit of writing for, but mostly surf science, but, but I'm trying to sort of squeeze in environmental articles, which they seem to be letting me do, which is really good. Yeah. And then other, you know, other blogs and, and things. Um, and also I'm Patagonia ambassador, which means doesn't just mean you're a sponsored surfer and you just go down the beach and you pose and they're owning all their gear, you know, you're actually, expected to be an environmental activist yeah and you know even if um they don't sponsor shit surfers but i mean if you have to know how to surf as well but if if um <laughs> and i suppose you have to be a kind of already like people have to know know who you are a little bit before you yeah. you know and then they sort of come along and say you know this guy would probably be pretty useful to us so um through Patagonia, they sort of support me for the environmental work that I would do anyway, but maybe I didn't, I wouldn't have money to, to go. Well, we can't travel anywhere at the moment, but let's assume that we could travel. For example, if there was a, you know, a conference in Portugal or something, they'd pay my petrol money to drive down there and give a talk or something. Cool. And keep me alive while, I, while I'm doing the work that I like to do. So that's really really useful you know really grateful to them um and uh yeah i don't know what else do i do Could you you remind me i can't remember uh, <laughs> yeah so obviously you, the major thing that you do is like the surf science and then uh, predicting like surf and weather and things like that and but if we try and bring it back to like the environment and just things like the the ocean and like uh for example because we're trying to talk about seaweed and um, obviously you're, we're surfers, so we're in amongst seaweed every single day and we need the ocean uh, to be divert, you know, like full of life. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to be surfing in acid water and we want, we, we need to see that sea life and we need to protect it as surfers. And like you're a Patagonia ambassador, it's so important, uh, you know, like for me, being a surfer it's not about like obviously riding the waves and things it's about like just being in the nature and having that time and um being at one you know like and just completely um you're completely removed from a normal everyday life and um all those elements that you're in is like part of the experience and um as surfers i really feel like we need to protect that that's like should be part of our thinking and our way, way of life and I think you totally agree with that so with that in mind what I want you know when when seaweeds come along and it's like for me I'm like can't, can't believe all this different uh amazing incredible benefits like the the fact that it absorbs so much co2 from the ocean um compared to like trees and just it seems like it's very much in its infancy um and it's and it's got me like insanely excited to be honest and obviously i'm doing the kickstarter to use seaweed in t-shirts um so yeah what in terms of like actually um having creating seaweed farms um do you see a problem have you got a problem yourself with um effectively like make uh, having a farm in the sea that has more seaweed and we're obviously not it's growing naturally um there's no there's no like chemicals or anything like that used um in the process of it growing but do you see any problems with um people creating like large uh, seaweed farms in the middle of the sea um do you, do you have a like a moral does do a lot do your do your does your moral alarms like go off um do you have any problems do you, like with this idea 
Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. To say I've got, I'd have, I've got a problem with it is a bit strong, really. You know, yeah. um, doubt. A doubt would be doubt, yeah. because I'm, I was brought up as a scientist. Then you've got to doubt everything. I, I mean, mm. uh, I don't know what's wrong with these scientists who, you know, think about that they're going to put giant mirrors in space and or fill up, fill up the atmosphere with silver little silver particles that reflect the sun. You know, I don't know. Anyway, um, I'll, before we go on, I just remembered something else I do, right? <laughs> Which is, of course, a big part of my existence is I work with these surfing NGOs like Save the Waves and yeah, of course. Um, all the all the equivalent ones all around the world. There's ones in Australia, in New Zealand, in Portugal. Mm -hmm. I did work with SAS in England for for many years. I was on the board of directors and. So um, it's um, protecting surfing waves, which is just symbolic, really. Yeah. Because it's yeah, protecting a, a, a thing that we all rely on and, you know, for our surfing, which is the wave itself. Um, but if, if I was a climber, then I'd, I'd be protecting the mountain, you know, or protect our winters. There's another, it's another, you know, for the snowboarders. Um, um, and so I do a lot of work with 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 those NGOs which I've been working with for again uh, um, about 20 years um, and and that links in with Patagonia as well a lot of the, a lot of the projects the environmental <clears throat> campaigns I've been working on through Patagonia I've been to try to um, protect surfing waves yeah. um, so you know a lot of surf, surfing waves are very sensitive to human intervention and some people sometimes say that they're like or they say that surfers are like sort of indicator species so yeah. if surfers um, if we um, perceive of a problem in our surfing in the water like the water becomes polluted or the wave become somebody else comes and destroys the wave by putting a breakwater in the middle of it or something or gets um, like builds all these hotels and then it fills up with tourists or something like that mm -hmm. then we're the first people to to notice plastic you know yeah. the, the beach is like covered in plastic if you lived in in if you lived in madrid or somewhere or moscow you might not realize that you know yeah. um, whereas we we live right on the front line so working with these surfing ngos and um doing wave protection projects is a way of sort of reminding myself and then letting me remind others through my articles that um yeah that we're we're on, we're on the front line and we ought to be the people we ought to be the influencers who could influence the rest of society mm -hmm. um so it's it's a knocks on it's a knock-on effect not just just surfing protecting surfing waves just for the sake of it it's mm -hmm. It reflects on everything. All the other environmental problems makes you think about all the other things. Wait, wait. So yeah, so I just go straight on to the <laughs> seaweed thing, if you like. <laughs> so have I got a problem with putting seaweed farms in the sea? Is that the question? Yeah, factable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you. I, I've read a, read a lot of books about trying trying to understand our history as a species, yeah. and you know Jared Diamond has got some great books out about it. Guns, Germs, and Steel is the most famous one, and now Yuval Harari he's the sort of new Jared Diamond. Yeah. Um, they're just the typical ones, and it's sort of I'm not sure if it's either a myth or. Whether, or what but or whether it's true that maybe once we were sustainable or we were sustainable for a long long time and then suddenly something happened um or a series of events started to happen and then we started destroying our own resource base mm -hmm. we started um you know uh, using up all, all all our resources too quickly before they would before they renew themselves. So we started we start to become unsustainable. Um, and, you know, I mean, I read somewhere that 
I mean, again, you don't know the exact figures because it's just sort of, um, you know, through, through, through looking at fossils and things like this and fossil records and, you know, looking back through prehistory. But um, as a species, if you think about humans as a species, for example, which we became a species when we split with the chimpanzees, right? Because they're our nearest cousins. So then we, we became a separate species, which was about 6 million years ago, I believe. Might be wrong. And then um, you, might, you might say that we lived a lot more sustainably or we lived sustainably until about 20,000 years ago. Mm. And then we just started, to, that was when we started to, to fuck it up, basically. Um, yeah. um, and, and, you know, people speculate on what, what, what we did first. Maybe we, it was because we invented fire. Maybe it was because we left Africa, started moving around a lot. Maybe it was, it was because, and this is, I think, is the biggest one. We started to create large societies and... Um, and have uh, agriculture um, and the societies were based on agriculture and then and then this is the sort of the model of the society itself was ended up being like one one boss with lots of people working for him or her um, and um, so and then gradually over history since then which is like a, you know it's a tiny percentage of, of our existence as a species we've become less and less and less sustainable and we're still still doing it now you know yeah. and then we had all these sort of what we call revolutions like the yeah. you know the, well that was the agricultural revolution then there was i don't know what there was but one one important one is the scientific revolution 500 years ago then the industrial revolution then then the the um the start of uh um using in great num great amounts you know fossil fuels mm -hmm. um you know that was kind of around them not even very long ago like the second world war or something yeah totally yeah um and then you know the recent ones digital you know the internet and all the other stuff um so um what you've got to think about with something like putting seaweed farms in the sea is when somebody thought about something really clever in the past what's how's that developed now and one example of that is um when cars were first invented um people thought that it would be really clean and really good because horses um, were running around and you know everyone was on horseback and horse and carts and things and all the uh, all the all the shit from the horse would be on the floor on the on the on the roads you know and somebody had to come and shovel it up um, and I mean they thought when cars were invented that got rid of all that and it was much cleaner and but nobody had a clue that how many cars there would there would be you know in those days the number of cars i mean if you just if you think about if you imagine that you came from another planet and you just well actually when i um when i've flown into in, into london a few times the flight which i've got quite a lot is is uh, lands early in the morning <laughs> from Cape Town to London. And so it comes in about five or six o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, from the top, and it's still dark, obviously, and you can see these like little red line, you know, this little, looks like a row of ants or something. And it's the M25. <laughs> and it's all the commuters going to work in all these yeah. cars, you know, and they, look, they you know, obviously look tiny from the sky. And if you sort of, take a step back it, it seems absurd um, mm -hmm. the number of cars that exist now um, so 
and I was thinking about it with with uh, with windmills as well, because um, here in Spain, you know, this is what we were talking about the other day with, you know, renewable energy. Yeah. Um, we're still trying to consume the same amount of energy as we did, or we, you know, that we are still consuming with fossil fuels. We still want to continue consuming that amount of energy, but with renewable energy sources like windmills. But windmills are in Spain here at the moment, people are saying, oh, you know, that, you know, that this some friend of mine said the other day, it's a really nice walk up in the mountains. You know, you can go up there and, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, you've got wild, um, wild boars and, and uh, there's actually, you're not going to see them, but there's wolves up there and there's even bears, you know, in Asturias where I live. Um, but then he said, yeah, but it's all windmills now. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of all these windmills, <laughs> and does that uh, do the animals not like them at all? I assume with the noise. No, it's 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 really it really disrupted the it's disrupt disrupted the um, yeah. habitat of wolves in particular because um, they're you know more numerous than bears or but bears as well, and also um, lynx. There's, there's there's only I don't know how many. There's there aren't many. A couple. I don't, know, I don't know if it's even less than 100 or something, the Iberian lynx. Um, and the wild boars, there's, there's loads of them, there's thousands of them, and they, they all come down now to the, to the villages. Right, yeah. <laughs> you see them like wandering around the road. <laughs> so it has, it has had an effect, you know, on the wildlife. Yeah. Um, so it's a, maybe it's maybe it's a case of scale you know maybe if you look at some hunter i mean this is what what jared diamond did is he looked at modern hunter-gatherer societies like in new guinea he did a lot of work in new guinea where even up to about 50 years ago they still spoke a thousand different languages in in, in papua new guinea yeah. um, and the different tribes had never seen you know, there was there was sort of like first contact um you know, uh, whatever you call it, you know, where, where they've never seen outsiders up until, I don't know, 50, 60 or 70 years ago, I think. Um, but he said that those people do have like gardens and they do actually, they do modify the environment themselves. Um, but it, it is below some threshold where it must be still sustainable. I mean, imagine... Yeah. Maybe in some of the New Guinea highlands, there, there's these tribes, the gardener tribes, you know, maybe they've been doing it like that for the last 100,000 years. Um, don't know. So that's, that's the question, is looking for the threshold. Yeah. So if you put a farm out there, grow some seaweed, it might not make any difference. And then you might reach a certain stage where you reach a tipping point. Yeah without realizing and then suddenly it's goes over the edge and just becomes the same as all the other things same. we've done to yeah. the planet totally yeah i think the point that you that i'm realizing from what you're making is that and we're kind of working out probably is that things like seaweed farms things like the windmills and renewable energy what people automatically think is that this is the answer for us to carry on doing what we've been doing before and carrying on jumping on planes and using the earth and blah, 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 you know, having these uh, amazing lives or not so amazing lives of like consumerism and, you know, uh, doing what we're doing and living at this crazy pace um, because we've got these potential, potential big um, solutions like, what, what I think I need to be careful with with the seaweed farm idea is not to uh, put across the language that a seaweed farm is going to allow us to carry on doing all these things. We need to totally reevaluate the way we've been living and we need less, we need less con consumerism. And like you said, there's got to be a threshold and a fine balance in order for these ideas to actually work. <laughs> and it's Yeah, that, I think that's, that's a really key thing. Yeah is that that's what everybody's like scrambling to look for some holy grail where yeah you know where they're so afraid of of um you know getting rid of some of their luxuries um 
and so there there's sort of two options one option is to consume less um you know and the other option is to consume the same and then keep destroying the planet and i don't think there's a way that we can keep consuming the same or having the same crazy lifestyle as you just said really good um and not you know cause planetary you know not sort of um uh, cause damage to our own life support systems yeah in the end um so is there's a sort of a direct relationship between our lifestyle a consumerist capitalist lifestyle and the destruction of our resources um and in the middle there there can you just put anything you can put fossil fuels if you want or you can put windmills it doesn't matter you know it's gonna the relationship is still going to be the same so the more we have the consumerist consumer capitalist society the more we're going to destroy the planet it's so simple yeah and even if we try to you know there's no way that we can do we cannot we can't have both you know we can't like live sustainably and still live in, in you know in this crazy pace that we're living in yeah. um so as i said the other day it's maybe what some of these things like windmills and solar panels and electric cars and they're like a, something that can buy us a bit of time yes yeah, yeah. maybe until we realize that we step off of capitalism <laughs> um you know it's so easy for me to to say this um you know it just seems so obvious to me because and this is one thing i thought about surfing um particularly if you you know more surfing bigger waves but it doesn't really matter i mean it's all relative anyway you know mm. some, some people like five foot waves or big waves anyway so it's just the same sort of things same sort of uh, parameters come into play as other people who are surfing 20 foot waves and it's just the thing of you're out there in the ocean and you can't modify the environment yeah. you you just have to you just have to um comply with what it throws at you you know so you you can't say oh i don't like the sets coming every every 10 minutes i want i want them to only come every 20 minutes so i don't get caught inside you know yeah. um just press this button or invent something that or you know invents the or makes the waves um peel better or not close out or I don't know. I mean, people have tried to. This is, this is, you know, this is a different thing altogether. But people have tried to do this sort of thing with inflatable vests and jet skis. Mm. <laughs> you know, they sort of, you know, the, the, with the inflatable vest, for example, it's it's a great idea. You know, to say to save your life if you're just about to drown. Um, but a lot of people, I think, are using it as a sort of a get me out of here. I don't like it down here. Button to push. You know, so they're down there. And they haven't sort of um, thought about how they're going to deal with what the ocean is going to throw at them simply because they've got this get me out of here clause, you know, so, yeah, so, yeah. so they're down there being wiped out, um, being held down by this wave and, and they're kind of getting a bit uncomfortable or a bit, some people have even got a phobia about being underwater, right? They don't like it and they panic and they just pull this thing on their vest and it just shoots them up to the surface and wow you know fantastic but really you know surfing the, the real sort of um uh, so then you miss out on what what surfing can offer you which is which is a sort of way of making you think about how you know how, how we can um how how it's how it's possible and it's and doesn't you know it's like painless really no, it doesn't really um and and it can be really enjoyable you know to sort of work out yeah a way of of of, of um of, of of working out your behavior according to 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 nature and the natural cycles and yeah totally even even just even just surfing when there's a swell you know i mean you can't yeah, people have tried to do that as well, haven't they? They're, trying, no, they're inventing um, 
you know, swimming pools that you surf in. So yeah, the waves gotcha. are just consistent, constant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, really, you you've got to you've got to wait till wait till Neptune comes up with a low pressure and and there's a swell. You, know, you can't do anything about it. And then you go and surf when there's a swell. Um, yeah, there's so amazing analogies that I find with surfing and that you can apply to life and I think that one that you just mentioned about the a, a big wave surfer and the surf fest that people can now wear and so it allows like anyone pretty much could go out into big waves or obviously not anyone but um, it actually allows you to have a big wipeout potentially drown that you've always got this button but if you apply that to what we're talking about the bigger picture and like climate change and having we, we, we aren't just what you're trying to say is we aren't just going to be able to press a button and boost ourselves out of there it's always going to actually come back to living actually sustainably and reducing and not not this relying on this magic button which I think everyone you know my, even myself I'm totally guilty of because of the seaweed farm idea it's immediately and I think everyone else it's like we all get excited and it's like it feels like it's this magic button that we can now press uh, to get us out of this shit situation that we're in um so but yeah it totally goes back to us actually being normal sustainable surfers or just normal surfers which just paddle paddle out in the normal waves and just wait for the swell and just use what's there uh, and be at one with it isn't it? it's the same it's really it's the same analogy isn't it yeah so to, maybe to be a bit clearer about that it, um yeah. you know be a bit more specific so as a surfer, you know, you have to, um, you know, you have to, your own behavior has to fit in with the cycles of nature. Yeah. So on, you know, on all different scales, like the longer scale is waiting for the low pressure to form and, or, you know, waiting from summer to winter, waiting for the winter to come. Um, and then you wait for the swells and you only, you can only go surfing when there's a swell, right. Or the wind conditions are right. And then the other thing, then on a smaller scale, it's when you're actually in the water, you still got to, fit in with the rhythms of of what the ocean is throwing at you you can't try and you've got to surf a wave when there's a set you know and, yeah. and then you've got the right wave in the set and you can't and when you're actually surfing the wave you can't try to do something and you know the wave will do what it will do it doesn't care if you're on it or not so you've yeah. got to like fit in with what the wave's doing um so i you know a bit of a sort of romantic um, analogy is like it's a dance you know and the, and the wave is leading you know and you're <laughs> um and you you, you know you, you're you're dancing with nature which is a, mm -hmm. yeah you know, this phrase that a lot of people have said so um that is what we learn as surfers um and applying that to the rest of our existence and and the problem of environmental destruction and climate change and everything yeah. and consumerism consuming energy really um i would have no problem at all if there weren't any batteries right for yeah. electric generation yeah um and um you had a windmill on your house and a solar panel and if it was sunny you got electricity and if it's it windy you've yeah. got electricity as well but if there isn't any wind or sun yeah well you know bollocks you just have to sit in the dark or <laughs> um and that's just the way of it. Uh, and, um, you know, because, because, I, because I've, been, I've trained myself as a surfer, um, I would like to think that, you know, I would, I, you know, obviously would take me a bit of getting used to, but if that's, that's the, what you need to do, then that's what I do. But so many, I mean, most of the people, that would be just unthinkable, wouldn't it? Totally, yeah. 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 Um, and so, so yeah, the, the idea of, so you modify your own behavior according to mm. the resources that are available or, you know, with, with fruit and vegetables, that's another one I've just thought of, you know, we get our fruit and vegetables from a local, local organic farm. Um, you know, I mean, you don't really need to say organic. It's just a normal farm. It's just yeah. not one of those farms where they use fertilizers yeah, and totally. um, spray all this shit on the, on the vegetables. Yeah. Um, and we just eat the vegetables that are in season. And it's if there's no strawberries yeah. in yeah. December, it doesn't matter, you know, we've got, got yeah. something else instead, apples or something. Yeah, so 
Totally. Um, if, if we, so as surfers, if we could be um, influencers, I hate that word, but I think it's got a good, you know, works quite well, I suppose. Um, and just try to get the word out a bit better mm-hmm. for the rest of society. You know, that would, that would be a, a, like, that's like a, a big, uh, completely. <laughs> big ambition <Yeah>. of mine. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. That's, I completely agree. Um, yeah. So I love the point of you being like surfers and anyone who uses the outdoors and especially the sea, I think like you're on the front line, you're the first ones to see like the plastic pollution. Um, is is such an amazing example. And really, I think like, thinking back over the last sort of two, three years, that's that's like being the catalyst to a lot of people's way of thinking about climate change and those pictures of like the great Pacific uh, garbage patch and obviously all the work that Surface Against Sewage does and the, the horror of how much plastic there actually is in the sea. As soon as everyday people see that, it's like alarm bells do start to go off um, and then everyone starts to actually think about climate change. So, because... Um, yeah, plastic pollution has only really been brought up because of surface, hasn't it? I think. Yeah, I mean, it's um, um it's an interest, a really interesting point. Yeah, because or, or not just surface, but I mean, people who are close to the ocean, you know, so yeah, totally go to the Fisherman. beach a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we go to the beach all year round as well, not just mm-hmm. in the summer. Yeah. In the summer, they clean it, they clean all the plastic away, so people yeah. don't think it exists. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a great example. So, but I mean, it's still not, there's still a, still a, a gap there. You know, we haven't reached the, the people who can actually stop the flow of plastic. You know, it's, we're, we're <laughs> you know, you've got all this, this is again, it's a sort of non-linear thing with a tipping point. Mm-hmm. There's all this public awareness now and people know it's a problem, but they, I don't know, you still, in in Spain, you still, in the restaurants and that, everybody, if you ask for water, they'll bring you a plastic bottle of water. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the all the other, not just water, but I mean, water's the worst one because it's ridiculous. Just <laughs> buying water in a, in, a, in a plastic bottle when you can get it out of the tap yeah. in most places, you know. But uh, there's all the other drinks, you know, the soft drinks, Coca-Cola and Fanta and all that in plastic bottles. Yeah. And they're still pumping out all this, all the plastic. So it's, you know, I mean, we're getting closer. Um, and what was the other thing? With, with so, oh, yeah. Um, the other thing that being a surfer makes you sort of realize as well is that we're not the master species on the planet, which is really important for something like seaweed farms mm-hmm. and planetary, you know, geoengineering schemes, mm-hmm. <laughs> planting lots of massive, I mean, again, in Spain where I live, we've got all these eucalyptus plantations and I thought it was a natural when I first came here I didn't have a clue you know I thought oh that's quite nice you know smells nice and you know forest and that but it's it's a it's a crop you know it's um it's a monocrop and it's destroyed all the biodiversity there before there was oak and beech and um chestnut trees and now it's all just eucalyptus um and so that's an example among many many examples of how we've and that's a geoengineering thing mm-hmm, we've yeah. modified the uh you know the environment so much that now there's no you you know we couldn't get rid of all those eucalyptus trees i don't know what, i don't know how you get rid of them you know um and then bring you know it might take thousands of years to bring back the soil again and you know that's happened in so many places yeah you know uh, even i think even in scotland right they they, they chop down all the trees to make, is it to make boats or? I'm not sure. No, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, all, all these things that you know, we're doing. Um, <clears throat> um, people think that we can fix them by doing the same thing, by 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, engineer, we've 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 destroyed part of the environment by trying to engineer the environment. Yeah, and it doesn't work. And then we can they think that we can engineer our way out of it. So yeah, we can yeah, invent yeah. some other yeah. scheme like planting all these eucalyptus trees. Yeah. And it's gonna bring us back to what where we were before we destroyed the whole thing in the first place. Yeah. Which totally. Isn't um, going to work, is it? <laughs> totally, yeah. I think like the optimistic side of it for me is like the at least when we're t talking about renewables and when we're talking about possible seaweed farms and kind of it starts to get people to think like to appreciate the natural environment, whereas before I think a lot of people just probably didn't. And maybe like these renewables and all these different sort of green ideas are kind of hopefully a bit of a path in at least it's a path in the right direction to get people to be thinking and then maybe the next generation will then really start to realize that we don't need all this crap <laughs> and it is just causing more more trouble than uh, than it's than it's worth um and yeah and put them yeah obviously one of the things that I've uh, there's been people who've been got in contact like quite, like saying about the seaweed farm saying that it's a bad idea because what we need to do is get rid of capitalism. But I said like we're never going to get rid of capitalism. Like at the end of the day, it's just always going to be here. We've got what my take on it is: we need to be like proactive and come up with innovative ideas like seaweed farms to then help tackle the situations that we're in. Um, but but yeah, what I think we're kind of like learning now and today in this conversation is that actually we do need to get to that place of non a non-capitalist -cap society or at least a place that's just so less consu consumerism because we are all literally born into this like adverts, consume, 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 like supermarket, have every single available veg vegetable and fruit uh, at, at our arm's length and yeah um we can't like it's totally unsustainable and yeah shipping oranges from what you call it south america and all this and like it's yeah it's it maybe in like 50 years time we'll look back and go like we can't can't believe we did that um maybe i don't know <laughs> i mean if you think about imagine a future say in a hundred years time yeah assume that we're still here yeah and assume that we've 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 managed to do it we managed to become sustainable again yeah um and it'll be a different completely different form of existence from what we're doing now i would suspect it'd be something a bit like the australian um the the uh, native australians the way they live or yeah. the way they lived before we all killed we killed them all the english yeah. um uh, you know, very sort of sparse existence, you know, um, no possessions, um, just maybe nomads, you know, not, they, did, they don't even, they didn't even do farming, the, mm. the Australians. Um, and as I say, maybe in New Guinea, um, as I say, it could be just, they might have little gardens or something if that ends up being sustainable, but something like that, okay, in a hundred years time, we've managed to achieve that. Now, then you, what you've got to do is you ask yourself the question, how did we get there? Yeah. And there's two things that we could do. We could, because we know that we're going to get there, right? In this story, in, in this version of, of, the, of the future. Um, yeah. So how did we get there? Did we keep on, like people like me, keep on saying that, oh no, it's no good putting windmills up everywhere. What we need to do, because they belong to the big, um, energy companies, you know, and it's exactly the same. It's just capitalism. They're just yeah. the, they're, they're the oil. They're just big oil turned into big energy. You know, it's yeah. exactly the same. And we need to decentralise it and have a little windmill on on every house in every village, maybe, and and then a solar panel, and then consume less, and then don't have batteries, and you know all this stuff, and and really, you know, and make every town like Totnes in the world, mm. and, and really sort of go for that. Um, and also, um, what was the other thing? Um, yeah, you know, just, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but anyway, just gen generally sort of a really go for 
um, be really sort of idealistic yeah. because it's no good. Um, yeah, we need the people, this, this, the sort yeah, of strict way of thinking. Sort of mentality of the people yeah. in the whole world and, and otherwise it's not, we can't do, every, can't do it by halves. Okay, so that yeah. could be one way we got there. Or the other way we got there might be to think, shit, we've only got seven years or some, some estimates or 10 or 15 years maybe before we, we reach the end of our carbon budget which means the amount of carbon that we can pump into the atmosphere and the amount of carbon sinks that we can destroy, like the Amazon rainforest, before we reach 1.5 degrees and then climate change becomes uncontrollable. So um, if I keep campaigning against decentralization of energy yeah. and, and yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, like maybe chop down all the, all the new windmills because they're being built by by these big energy companies or something, maybe shit, you know, seven years have gone by and we've got nowhere. And, and, mm. and, and, and so maybe it didn't work. So, so maybe the best thing to do is to, okay, we haven't got time to, to be too idealistic. We, we need to let that happen first. Let them keep putting these big windmill farms, you know, on the mountains and in the sea. And then that'll buy us a bit of time and then do things like, seaweed farms and and animal agriculture is another one you know that was the one i was thinking of okay. you know instead of campaigning that we should all be vegetarians and animal culture needs to disappear tomorrow animal agriculture needs to disappear tomorrow because um you know it's just one of the biggest planetary destroyers that there is yeah and um uh and plastic as well. Plastic needs to be stopped manufacturing tomorrow, you know. So if we campaigned against all those things, but got nowhere, uh, we wouldn't achieve, we wouldn't be sustainable in a hundred years time. So instead of doing that, maybe the best idea is just to sort of let them get on with it a little bit and um, see how it goes, you know, all but we'll all buy electric cars and with big batteries in and, you know, we'll have, there'll be a few lithium mines, you know, destroying a bit more of the environment, but it'll at least be better than fossil fuels. Yeah. And we won't hit that target that, that um, we won't use up our, our um, carbon budget in seven years time. We'll buy ourselves a bit of time. And then in the meantime, as you said, our kids and their kids maybe will come up with more ideas and, and maybe, you know, in its own pace, maybe in a hundred years time, we will be sustainable, but who knows? You can't, how can you predict something like that? Totally. Yeah. I think like that was your... a real roundabout way of explaining something that I was thinking about as I was talking, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. Got a bit <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Your, I mean, your, your point is that all these ideas, what they can possibly do is buy us time. It might buy us like an extra five years to then work out a little bit more and allow people to adjust and the education as well to come around and then the next generation, like, I suppose we've got um, an amazing generation now, like the Greta generation, I suppose they call it, um, who are all totally thinking that probably they do want to completely get rid of capitalism and then hopefully their kids will actually get rid of it and what, you know, like, uh, and yeah, if we, people like me now who are coming up having feel like we have to come up with these ideas like the seaweed farms and everything that will actually uh, feed into those people and it will actually buy us buy us the time that we need maybe <laughs> like um, at least we're hopefully um, potentially yeah you know it sort of reminds me a little bit of um, these things that, I mean, I know it's, just, it's sort of a bit of sort of the antithesis of what, we're, what I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, representing, but um, where you have somebody who invents something, they come up with a mathematical equation or something, and, um, and then no one can use it because there's no, the technology isn't available mm. to... And then, you know, then sort of 50 years later, somebody 
invents a computer that can compute that equation and then the, and then everything starts starts working but that but the equation stayed stagnant for all those years because the technology wasn't available to be able to do anything with it i'm actually thinking of wave prediction weather models and mathematical simulations yeah because um the people who came up with the equations that they still use in most of the wave um, forecasting models in, mm. in the, they're in computers um, were uh, the, they, they came up with them in the 1950s um, and early 60s but they couldn't do anything with them because there was no computers that they could use right crazy you know it's only nowadays that they can they can do it so you know, think of um, what about Tesla, for example? I was going to you know, say, he about lived that, yeah. like over 100 years ago and he came up with all these ideas. Yeah, I'm not talking about Tesla cars, I'm you know, Nikola Tesla. Oh, sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say about Elon Musk, though, and like all because that's an example of the probably the button pressing, the 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 inventor that thinks we're going to come up with this idea, but that's really it's the most capitalist. Um, think way of thinking to get us out of the climate crisis like, yeah uh, well he thinks he's tesla you know that's why he yeah. calls his cars right, tesla. Yeah, 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 nikola course. tesla was um right. was this real genius you know who yeah. was totally unrecognized because his ideas well a bit like leonardo da vinci you know right. there's loads of examples through history um but you know maybe these people the things that they invented weren't very good anyway. They were like geoengineering <laughs> projects, you know, especially <laughs> a couple of the things that Tesla tried to invent. But it was just a sort of the way, as I'm saying, that it's just an example of um, letting things work at their own pace. So now, you know, I'm I'm like getting getting nervous about the fact that there's all, nobody understands about plastic or windmills or you know, decentralization and shit, you know, it's getting nowhere and, yeah. um, but maybe I should sort of just relax a bit and let, let the thing, you know, go at its own pace, but not relax totally. But, um, I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah. No, I think it does need, it needs, um, we need like the really kind of, stricter way of thinking i think because you're always going to get the really extreme people who have these huge big points and make people alarmed and then you're going to get always have people in the middle and then you'll get the other people on the complete other side who think you know just want to use everything so i think it's it's just humans isn't it we all we all we've all seen it differently as well like going back to like us being surfers we've seen it you've seen it happen over the years like um, you've seen the plastic and you've been in amongst it on the front line so it's kind of affected your head a lot more so compared to some people who just never would have seen that and um, you're a very extreme example but we that's what we need we need like we need people like you to totally shout and say like actually we need to decentralize otherwise we are gonna seriously end up in shit um then, yeah so so yeah i mean i can so maybe my shouting yeah. <laughs> you know even if i it's not very satisfying for me it feels like i'm banging my head against the brick wall maybe it it is sinking into a few people's heads you know and hopefully maybe that'll of sort of start yeah. off well, i don't know um but um also with with that um there's also the sort of danger of living inside your own bubble of of people who have the same mindset and the same, you know, history of the way of thinking. And then so you sort of think, well, that's obvious, you know, um, everybody knows that plastic is bad. You know, everybody knows that climate change is, is going to destroy the planet if we don't stop using fossil fuels or whatever. Um, you know, all these people, what's wrong with them? And then if you jump into their world a little bit, for example, you know, I, haven't watched the television for 20 years um, yeah. and I just um, started watching a few you know little things on Netflix and that just to you know it's what you do when you're in lockdown right <laughs> <laughs> order from Amazon and you watch Netflix yeah. so you know like one hour one hour a night and yeah. choose carefully you know, it's a slippery slope isn't it? yeah um, but I'm suddenly in their world 
and it's just terrible. You know, the, like the best thing that I can find on there is just total shit, really. Um, and it's like, and it's, it's every, um, for example, you know, like uh, every, every sort of, um, you know, detective, uh, you know, these detective crime series things or whatever, you know, or whatever. Um, it's all, all full of like guns and violence and it's like normalizes, um, especially guns, you know, you don't see guns walking around and waving guns around every day, you know, and I, I never even thought about that for 20 years, but then you look at, you watch the television yeah, so true. and it's like, you know, um, fight, you know, you, you sort of count, you know, how long is it going to be before somebody pulls a gun, you know? Um, yeah. so I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that's just an example of stepping into the world of what most people, the consumerist world of what most people actually have. I mean, I'm going to start, I'll start reading, I might start reading the newspapers soon and then I'll really, <laughs> you know, like reading yeah, the sun or something, you know, or the daily, daily mail, you know, something like that. Um, um, and it's what their brains are full of because, because that's what they're getting pushed. That's what, 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 what the media is pushing at them. Um, yeah. so they, it, it's, it's good in a way to, to sort of, it's just like a, it's like a, a reality check, you know, and you think, shit, this is what I'm up against. You know, I've got to, yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's good to actually, yeah, exactly. Then you realize actually what you're up against is pretty really, really, really extreme. Yeah. I mean, and it's not a new thing either that people have realised this. Even even in um, Huxley, um, uh, his what's his famous book from 1932? Um, uh, all, um, they all worship because he invented the car. You know? Brave New World. Brave New World. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Google. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so. He, there's a there's a passage in there somewhere that talks about um, you know how you've just got to get the masses to just conform to a particular way of thinking and then you don't need yeah 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 you don't need to do anything you can they'll just agree with you and they'll just vote for what it the is. people yeah um, you know who yeah it's that's the probably they're going to be well it's the biggest battle isn't it yeah. Yeah. The prol, the proles, uh, you know, that appeared in 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 Orwell as well in 1984. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was written quite a few years later than Huxley. You know, the the proles. He thought that, you know, the protagonist in the in the book, um, which I can't remember his name. Anyway, he he um, <laughs> thought that there's so many of these people, the proles, that this like this, you know, large percentage of the population. If they all got together, and and, and you know went up against the party they just win because there's so many of them but the guy who the the bad guy um o'brien he's you know the evil guy in the book says to winston smith the protagonist um he says no winston that's that's just not going to happen there's no danger of the proles revolting or coming up against the party at all you know um and it's just uh yeah yeah it's happening it just keeps, it just hasn't stopped happening you know, since then. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing that those books are written like that and they just totally still stand up now and they kind of really need it, aren't they? Yeah. I, I want this to sit right with me 100%, but it's, it's, it's approaching it in the way that we've worked out in terms of it, we're not trying to suggest this is, this shouldn't be a um, press the button solution in terms mm. of like it but it but it could but it is good it can, does have loads of amazing benefits but don't think of it as it's going to say it's going to completely save us um so yeah yeah that's no, really 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 good it's helped us a lot yeah i think the key thing is to yeah the way you are thinking of it you know this the how you are thinking of where it's going to take everything you know what, what totally. it's going to lead to and yeah. the, the end result is not the holy grail and it's not going to save the planet yeah it, um it might it's something that could buy us a bit more time and it can 
something that can contribute to completely lots of other things it's like when you when you um have have you know you read on this on the back of some food thing or something that says yeah this can help you um be healthy if you eat it in conjunction with lots of other yeah. lettuce and you know lots of other healthy foods yeah it's so good just eating this on its own yeah. um and it's exactly like that isn't it you totally, totally. just a component in you know completely lots yeah. of other things. um but yeah and and also thinking that there's there's a threshold you know where mm-hmm. you don't want it to start to get get out of hand um totally, you don't yeah. know where that threshold is yeah 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 definitely yeah Yeah. amazing thank you um yeah thanks so much for your time all right tony it's been brilliant as ever i'd love like definitely love to chat again soon anytime you like yeah